0: Today I want to ask the question, does prayer matter? What does it mean to, that, to do, what does it mean to pray? If I told you right now that you cannot change God's mind, but that you still need to pray, would that make any sense to you? Maybe you'd ask, well, what would be the point of that? I suspect in human terms, though, you'd think that it might make some sense because anyone who's dealt with a small child, a parent, who who decides that it's going to be a certain way and that parent's will is fixed and immovable? All of us at some point have given in to the demands of a praying child, right? So maybe even a begging dog, right? So uh, maybe we think that prayer certainly could change God's mind, even though we know God doesn't change his mind. Prophet Malachi says, For I, the Lord, do not change. And the letter to the Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, so there's scriptural proof that God doesn't change his mind, and so again, I ask you the question, what do we think, what do we think we're doing when we pray to God? Um, and I suspect that if we do take prayer seriously, if we're, for we're w- those who do take it seriously, um, faithful in our prayers, we may think deep down that we really can change God's mind, and that's, that's the point of it. Others who may not take prayer as seriously or understand you know, what Christian prayer really is, Maybe think of prayer in more secular terms or generic terms, like prayer is sending good thoughts, right? That's, that's good, or, or vibes, whatever that's supposed to be, or energy, right? You know, uh, or the moment of silence, right? All of these things that, are, that, we, that, we, that we sort of lump in the category of prayer. Not sure we know what we're doing when we have a moment of silence or send energy. Um, I don't think that we can send energy yet, although I think the eye... Can you actually do that? Can we send electricity through the air yet? I think, I think Apple is inventing, is, is working on that. Uh, so maybe we will be able to send energy at some point. Um, if you don't know how to pray, or you don't know what you're doing when you pray, you're, you're, you should take some comfort from God, from Paul's words today. Paul writes, we do not know what we ought to pray for. So there you go. For this, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts... Knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So, Paul's talking about something here in this verse and in the letter, the lesson that we read today, about something that's often misunderstood. Uh, by those who, who have a, maybe a topical understanding of the Christian faith, particularly the, the Reformed understanding of the Christian faith. And that's the doctrine of predestination, which is a word that Paul uses in verse 29. He uses predetermined. Uh, so if there's a caricature of, of Paul's teaching here, which carries over into the Reformed uh, faith, if there's a caricature, of what the, a caricature of what that faith is, it, it would go something like this. If God has chosen you, if he's predestined you to go to heaven, if you're one of the saved, if you're one of the elect, uh, uh, like Israel, right? I mean, Israel was one of the chosen people. Uh, They were chosen. The Canaanites were not chosen, the Hittites were not chosen, the Egyptians were not chosen. Not even the Greeks were chosen, but the the Israelites were the chosen people. So if God has made up his mind to save you, then you can live this wicked life, right? it's It's a get out of jail free card. You can do whatever you want and God will have your back. And that's in fact how the Israelites behaved throughout a lot of their history. They fell back constantly on this idea that they were God's chosen people, that they had the law, that they had the sacrifices, that they had Moses, so they could work. Worship all manner of false gods, and they still knew that God was theirs, so and that they were gods. The other flip side of that caricature is that if God has not chosen you, then no matter how nice or good a person you are, I mean, you may give a $100 to every beggar on the street, if God hasn't chosen you, you're not getting to heaven. And so that's the caricature of this teaching. That's a caricature of the reformed faith, that, that God is just capricious, right? He chooses some people and they behave wickedly and they get to go to heaven, but, all the, but the good people, God, if he's damned them, they're, they're, they're lost. That's a, that, that doesn't do justice to what Paul is saying, and it doesn't do justice to this beautiful passage that we read today which is, on which the doctrine of predestination is, is based. Consider, consider these words of, of comfort from verse 28. Paul writes, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, how are we going to get comfort out of this passage, out of this passage? Let's 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 go a little deeper into it. The one one reason I think that the doctrine of predestination is hated is because it shares something in common with, with another hated doctrine, which is the doctrine of original sin. Original sin doesn't seem fair. I get letters from people often about about the doctrine of original sin. I get feedback from you in my preaching. It talked too much about sin. It's not fair, right? Why should every generation since Adam inherit the guilt of the for the sin of the first man? Why? Why? We didn't do it. We weren't there. And even the prophet Ezekiel spends some time in in, in his uh, in, in chapter 18 pondering the same thing. Shouldn't, shouldn't the person who actually commits the crime or the sin pay for it? Why, why should we be paying for a, a sin that we didn't commit? So original sin, people don't like it for that reason. And people also don't like the doctrine of predestination because it seems to determine our fate based on a capricious choice of God in which we had no input and seems to rob us of our, of our free will. So those are the, the reasons, I think, that people reject this doctrine. And and i'll give you even more material right i mean in 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 romans chapter 9 in the next chapter in this letter paul tells us that god in fact has chosen some people for the sole purpose of destroying them right the sole purpose of of pouring out his wrath on them and the the biblical example of this uh, is the egyptian pharaoh at the time uh, paul uh, of the exodus paul writes for scripture says to pharaoh i raised you up for this very purpose that i might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, what does that mean? I rose up a cruel tyrant so that would oppress my people, so that when I liberated my people, they would see that I am a God of justice and that I execute justice. So that's, why, that's, what, that's what the whole point and purpose of, of, of Pharaoh was, according to, according to Paul here. The verse before Paul writes, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And in the verse immediately after, Paul writes, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So what is Paul saying? It's pretty clear that Paul is saying that, you know, praying for Pharaoh's soul won't make any difference. God has already made up his mind to drown Pharaoh in the Red Sea. So Paul reminds us again in, in the lesson today that we do not know what we ought to pray for and that at all things God works for the good of those who love him. So what are we doing when we pray? What are we doing when we pray for a sick child? I mean, we have a book here of several years' worth of of prayers, right? Of prayer requests, people's names that we've put in here. What have we been doing? What are we doing when we pray for that spouse or that friend? What What are we doing when we pray for someone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because if God has already made up his mind, what good does prayer do? So maybe it's better to ask what is happening when, as Paul puts it in verse 26, the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's a beautiful passage too. the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. One of the things that tells me is that that we have some help when we're praying, right? Some, Some divine help. Right, then and there but let's let's start with what's not happening what's not happening when when the spirit is interceding for us is we're not we're not sending good vibes we're not sending energy prayers not reiki right the second thing is that we're not doing anything creative or new we're not seeking novelties or a sign from god Um, jesus puts that pretty bluntly when he says that only a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And so finally, we're also not, talking, we're not asking God to do anything he hasn't already determined to do, which is the reason we're not asking for new things. We're not asking for something that's contrary to God's will. What we are doing when we pray is we're asking God to take our lives and to give them, in time, and in space, which is to say in the reality that we inhabit, the world that we know, which is also to say history, we're asking for God to take our lives and give them significance, to give them meaning, to give them purpose. We're asking God to give them the significance and meaning and purpose that he's predetermined, that he's predestined them to have. And so what prayer actually is, is it's part of the, it's the working out of what God long ago determined would occur. By prayer, God works all things for the good of those who love him. Now, since our lives are comprised of many moments, Paul says we are to pray without ceasing, so as to make all of our moments significant and purposeful. And in that word, in other words, all things, right? So this is one of the reasons why sin and prayer are incompatible because sin which is contrary to the will of God robs the moments of our lives of the significance and purpose that God means for them to have it's the opposite sin is the opposite of God's will and so if we live a lifetime of many moments that are sinful what will we have at the end we will have a lifetime of fruitless despair and meaningless existence we will have an insignificant life because we have robbed every single moment of it, of its significance. But if we live a life of prayer, then the moments of our lives, the days of our lives, will add up to a a lifetime of glory. And, And this is why the church can never preside at, or pray over, or bless occasions of sin, because to do so is a lie. And it is to say something is significant when it has no significance at all. Simply put, Prayer is the spirit bringing purpose to our lives in accordance with the will of God. Prayer is bringing purpose to our lives in accordance with the will of God. Now, prayer also informs not just our individual moments and our individual days, but it informs the Christian understanding of history. Without the church's ceaseless prayer in time and space, across time and space, Uh, history quickly goes off the rails. Remember that. Remember that the next time you're tempted to skip church, right, because what you're doing here is adding meaning and significance, bringing meaning and significance to to this moment, to all of history. You know, this congregation is assembled here this morning, not by your own voluntary free will, right? I mean, you may think you got up today and said, it's a nice day, I'm going to go to church. God determined this day before all of us were born, before all of us existed, before eternity in all eternity, God ex- determined this moment He determined each one of you to be here and to hear this message, He determined me to be here one of the one of the one of the most humbling things about being a priest, I think, is the communion service when i when I distribute communion, which is such a simple gesture, you know the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life and I say that over and over again, and as I put it into your hands, what is that? It's a prayer, and the significance of it has been determined, determined from all eternity, before all time. And I've done that thousands of times in my ministry so far, and God willing, many thousands more, each one of them with eternal significance. So when you're not there, you're missing that significance. You're missing the meaning and the purpose. right? So this, this moment, this worship service right now is full of meaning and purpose. I think perhaps that one of the reasons we've reached such a peculiar moment in history is that the church has forgotten that, forgotten how to worship. We've spent the last 50 years indulging in novelties and all kinds of new things, right? Change the prayer book, change this, change that. We don't add significance to this moment. We don't pour meaning into it. God has already determined what it means. So I think it's time to return to the old paths, which, frankly, St. Peter's has never really wandered too far from, so. <laughs> when we gather on a Sunday morning, we're saying that at least one day of the week should have its full significance that God intended it to have. And I, I, I say that because too often now, I think the purpose of people's lives is determined maybe by other things, sports, or or sleeping in, or reading the paper, or going to brunch, or whatever. And, but, but really, I mean, why would we not give this day its full significance? Why would we not say one day in seven is de- devoted to rest, right? I mean, Jesus says the prince of the world is, is not God, it's the devil, and I can believe that when, when he wants us to work seven days a week, 365 days a year. Is that gonna give meaning and purpose and significance to our lives? I don't think so. So, you know as well as I do that just because our moments and our days have significance and purpose, that that doesn't mean that they're not going to be trying and painful sometimes, right? And I'm thinking especially of the trials like the death of a young mother with children, that's, you know, or the death of a child, or or 9-11, right? Mass shootings. What, What word do we often use to describe these tragedies? Senseless comes to mind. We ask, what purpose could it serve? We might say, why, God? And so Paul spends the second part of his lesson addressing this. First, Paul tells us that God does not offer to take away the pain of these trials. Right. So the pain is real. And further, he doesn't even offer or he doesn't even promise to explain their significance. Um, the, The pain is real. And we might not know why, right? The, the, that's not in the, in the promise from God. The promise from God is that these moments are significant and that they have meaning and that they are in accordance with his will. So you might be thinking, I need a better answer than that, God, right? I need, I need to know why this happened. I need to know why my mother died. I need to know why my child died. I need to know why my, my marriage collapsed. I need to know, God, all right? Well, Paul has this to say to you in verse 32. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And this is from a man, Paul, who spent a night and a day in the open sea and was beaten and stoned and imprisoned and whipped. And uh, and so he knew, he knew what it was like to um, go through trials, and he can still say that my life, his life had purpose and meaning because all things work for good to them who love God. So that reminds me of another person who didn't understand why he was going through the trials that he went through. The night before he died, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane says, he prays, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus himself knew what it was like not to have all the answers, and yet to still love God. And it's good for all of us, it's good for all creation that in that moment he prayed. And in that moment the Father poured all the significance and meaning and purpose that he meant from before the world began for that moment to have, for that moment in the garden to have, and for that moment in, on the cross to have. Because the meaning and the purpose and the significance of that humble obedience and that painful suffering of Christ was for our salvation not my will, but thine be done. The second reason that the Holy Spirit is praying in and through us, or the second thing that is happening to us when the Spirit intercedes through us, when we're praying, is that we know that the purpose of God for meaning and significance in our life cannot be altered or changed. So prayer reminds us of that. Now, we may have wanted many things to go differently in life. We may have wanted many things to be different or or we might have liked to have changed many things. But since God is unchangeable and his purpose for us doesn't change, when we pray, we know that what he has willed for us will not change. And if we love God, then we know that all things will work for good for those who love God. We know that we will be saved. That is something that cannot be taken away from us. So that's why Paul can write that Christians will endure imprisonment and torture and the church being persecuted and driven underground or outlawed or fined or ridiculed. Paul writes, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies And so we might ask what the purpose of the taunting world is. Why does the world world ridicule the believer and the church? And I think it's because it's it's meant to make us do one thing. It's meant to make us, who know our meaning and purpose and significance comes from God, it's meant to make us go and look for meaning and purpose and significance in someone else, in some place else other than God. Maybe from our own uh, will, maybe from our own creativity, we are supposed to bring meaning and purpose and significance to the world and to our work. And I would say that's the original sin. Adam and Eve sought to determine their own purpose, to make their own significance. And each one of us has done the same thing. Each one of us has committed that same original sin. Finally, if we love God, then nothing can separate us from God's love. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing can separate us. But this promise, but this love is only promised to those who love him. The guarantee is only given to those who pray. So if you think about that, it makes perfect sense, right? Because those who insist on self justification, those who seek their own purpose, those who define their own meaning and determine their own significance, that's a lot. That's a big burden you're taking on to yourself. You're, you are, you're, you're basically taking on the responsibility of giving meaning to your life, of giving purpose to every moment of it. I hope you have a good insurance policy to underwrite all of that. Uh, your word is, and, and my word are not determinate words. Our words are fickle words, indeterminate words. We can't make it rain or, or stop raining, and, and, and you know, we can't stop the days from going by or the aging uh, of our bodies. What can we actually do? And why would we then try to invest our whole lives with meaning and purpose and significance? Let us take it from the one who gives it to us. Let us, let us, let us embrace God and, and, and love him and pray for his meaning and purpose and significance to be poured into our lives. Those, that's where the sighs come from. That's where the sighs that are too deep for words come from. God has taken those sighs of the spirit and determined, predetermined what they mean. So I welcome the Holy Spirit to intercede for me with those sighs. I welcome the Holy Spirit to join His sighs with my groans coming from the pain, right, of our lives, because it's the Spirit of God working in me. And that Spirit has given meaning to the words of Scripture, and it's given meaning to the moments of our lives. It gives meaning and significance to all the moments of our lives. And it will do that, the Spirit will do that, if only we just pray. If only we just pray to God and pray to God only. Amen.